Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I am your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 144, August of 2021. We are presenting the next in our series of 10-minute plays featuring roles for women over 50. And this month we are proud to present Missing by the playwright Robin Pond. The roles and actors in this play are Betty, played by Lisa Frank, and Justin, a policeman, played by Daniel J. Kiley. The setting is a waiting room in a police station. At Rise, we see Justin, a policeman, entering with paperwork in his hand. Betty sits patiently waiting. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, someone here related to yes? Did someone here file a missing persons report? Oh, yes, that would be me. Well, ma'am, I need a name. You don't have a name? Of course, I have a name. So, what's your name? Justin. Justin. You mean like just in time? That's a great name for a police officer. People can dial 911 and it's like a real emergency, a robbery's going down, you know, or, or someone's about to commit a murder and then you arrive just in time. See? Ma'am? Your name for a policeman. It, it really suits. My name's not important. Your name's extremely important. It's crucial. It's your representation to the world. It greatly affects how the world will view you. Take my husband's name. Far too much alliteration. His parents did him no favor at all, believe you me. The world would never take seriously a man with an alliterative name. Ma'am, did you file this missing persons report? Yes, of course. That's why I'm here. Well, who's missing? My husband, of course. Isn't that who we're talking about? And you can see right there, I attach his picture to the form. Of course, it's an old picture, so he looks a lot younger there. I didn't have anything recent, but he looks better in that picture than in real life anyway, so it's rather flattering, you know? He's really let himself go. Yes, ma'am. Uh, but you see, here on the form where it says missing person, you just wrote yes. That's because he is missing. But you're supposed to put his name. That's not what it says. It's sort of understood. Obviously not. No, I suppose not in this case. Well, then, what's your husband's name? Pearson. Pearson. Yes, it's like person, but with an A. So he's like a missing person, but with an A. You see, he's a missing Pearson. So it's P. E-A-R. Does pear. Well, he's kind of shaped like a pear. Okay, pear. And then a son, except we don't have a son. We don't have any children at all. He couldn't, you know. Probably the result of a bicycle accident. He rode his bicycle a lot when he was younger. Now, he mainly just rides the couch. But when he was younger, he was actually quite athletic. Not that you'd know to see him now, but I just figured he'd fallen hard on that crossbar of his bike once too often. And so we couldn't really have any children. Not that we minded much at the time, you know. It's just that it was too... Yes, ma'am. I... And what's his first name? Peter. You see? Far too alliterative. Peter Pearson. No one will ever take him seriously. No, ma'am. You think so, too? I really wouldn't know. Well, you should know. It's really quite obvious. And how long has he been missing? I have no idea. Doesn't your husband live with you? In a manner of speaking. Ma'am? 
We call that living. He exists sort of as a, a movable lump from the bed to the couch to the easy chair. He's just there, always there. Constant inertia. He probably proved some law of physics. I can't remember the last time he said, Betty, get your coat. Well, then when, when did you first notice that he was no longer there? Hard to say, really. It's more of a dwindling than an immediate effect. Dwindling. Yes. Over time. There have been fewer dishes in the sink, fewer clothes to pick up off the floor, fewer times when I have to go hunting for the TV remote. But when was the last time that you actually saw him? I'm not sure. It's like having an old lamp in the living room, you know? It's there for years, and if it's suddenly removed, you notice something is different about the room, but you just can't put your finger on what has changed. Then one day it comes to you. The lamp's gone. So you never really look at him? That's not true. You're really not understanding me. I look at him. I take long, hard looks at him all the time. I'm the one who tells him if what he's wearing is suitable. I'm always after him about his weight and his needing to get a haircut and all sorts of personal hygiene issues. I've spent years trying to improve that man's image. Believe you me, it's a full-time job. Yes, I, I imagine it is. But surely, if Mr. Pearson really is missing... You must have noticed. You're not married, are you? No, ma'am. Oh, it's not your fault if you don't understand. I appreciate your concern, ma'am. But what I'm trying to say is it may be too soon to file a formal missing persons report. But he's missing. I searched the whole apartment this morning. Yes, ma'am. But maybe he's just gone out for a while. That's not Peter Pearson. That's not him at all. I've spent my life, half of my life, trying to get that man off the couch. There's no way he left it voluntarily. I'm just saying. Why would he leave? Why would he all of a sudden, after all these years, just get up and leave? I could think of a few reasons. What reasons? Oh, nothing. Really, I would not want to speculate. Should you? No, it doesn't make any sense. It just, it's just not like him. I'm getting worried. What if something's happened? I'm sure that there's no cause for alarm. Can't you put out some sort of all points bulletin? You know, be on the lookout for a scruffy, somewhat paunchy man, retirement age, probably dressed in sweatpants and a T-shirt with a food stain on it. Something like that. Okay. I'll tell you what. Let me run his name through the system just to be sure. Address? We're at 309 Crowsfoot, apartment 2B. This will just take a second. But really, I'm sure there's no reason to be concerned. He's probably just... Oh. You found him already? Yes, ma'am. I'm afraid we have. He's been spotted. In a manner of speaking, th this is his obituary. He's... Oh, my. Oh, my. I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I can appreciate what a shock this must be to you. He's... he's... Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry to have to inform you. Your husband... Your husband passed away two months ago. Was there a funeral? Yes, ma'am. At Funston's funeral home. Yes. You know, now that you mention it, I do sort of remember... 
you'd think something like that would have made a greater impression. I mean, I can understand forgetting where I've left my glasses, and I do that all the time. Sometimes I'll even be running around the apartment looking for them, and they'll have been there all the time, propped on the top of my head. But forgetting what you've done with your spouse seems so... It's not really that unusual. We we see this all the time. Cataclysmic events fade, and the well-worn routine takes over again. I suppose. And it's sort of like Peter, you know? In what way? Never terribly noticeable. He was just sort of always there. So... I guess there's nothing more you can do to help me then, is there? I'm very sorry for your loss. Actually, I suppose he's no longer really lost. No, ma'am. He's at Pleasant Gardens. You can visit him there anytime you like. Not really the same thing, though, is it? I mean, having to make a special trip and all, it's going to take some getting used to. Separation, I mean. Yes, I understand. That's the real reason he contacted us, isn't it? What do you mean? I can appreciate how difficult it must be when you're used to, well, used to having someone around all the time, and then suddenly they're not there anymore. Doesn't here, you know? After investing all these years just to have nothing. If I might make a suggestion, and I know it's not really a solution, but... Anything. There's this organization called Next Best Thing that offers replacement mannequins for these sort of situations. Replacement mannequins? Yes, ma'am. They've had a lot of success with situations not unlike yours. With the picture you've provided, they could make it look just like Mr. Pearson. And for a small maintenance fee, you can arrange to have someone come in a couple times a day to move them around the house. From the bed to the to the couch, to the chair, and back again, that, that sort of thing. His usual routine. Exactly. A wonderful idea. Of course, it won't be quite the same. It might be. Well, it's not as if you'll really be able to relate. Pretty much the same, then. I suppose you could talk to him, or at least at him, but you won't get much response. Sounds exactly the same. Problem solved, then. Thank you so very much. You've been most helpful. A pleasure to serve, ma'am. I can't believe a nice young man like you isn't married. Are you seeing anyone? I, uh... I've got a niece who would be perfect for you. Her name's Sandra. Just graduated from college. Smart as a whip, cute as a button. But it's so hard for young people to meet in today's busy world. So why don't I give you her phone number? We're really not allowed to. Thanks, I'll tell her all about you. I'm sure she'll love your name. I'll tell her to expect your call. After all, it would be a terrible thing to end up all alone now, wouldn't it? Yes, ma'am. Yes, it would. End of play. That was Missing by Robin Pond. The roles were played by Lisa Frank and Daniel J. Kiley. Stage directions read by Ithaca, New York acting legend Milo Bohack. Robin and I had a really good talk about the play afterwards and also about the magic and the wonder of words. I actually wrote a first draft of this about a decade ago. So, you know, I've been tinkering with it for a long time. And I think like most playwrights, um, you tend to go back to things and, and tinker with them and 
and edit them and shorten or lengthen them over time. Sure, yeah. Plays almost never done. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who told I, I asked them once they're a more experienced playwright than I am. And I said, so when is the play done? And she said, when do you start the next one? <laughs> well, I um I, I had the great honor to uh have a a full-length play um done by center stage down in um South Carolina. Uh and the they brought in um well, what's his name now? Madoff as a um, mm. as a uh, artistic director, and um, of course he's had plays done on Broadway, and he's he's quite well known, and and uh, I think he's won an Oscar too for, for film as a director or a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, someone asked him that question, and his. Rather tongue in cheek response was, "Well, after it's played on Broadway for three weeks." Okay, so I think that's a, <laughs> a backhanded way of saying it's never done. Yeah, but it's it's still an all it's it's a good answer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Although, uh, anyways, I I've been tinkering with missing for a, about a decade. Um, where it came from is. I'm not. I'm not sure. I can give a good answer to that. I, I think um, most plays, most stories are um, character-driven or they're plot-driven. Right. That you know, it's, and it, that's not mutually exclusive at all. It, it tends to be a an interplay between the two. Um, missing, I think, is very much uh, came about because. I came up with the character Betty and wanted to put her in a situation and let her talk. And um, I think a lot of playwrights also uh, say that, you know, the characters take over the story and they, they run oh, with it. They do. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think that is definitely part of, of what happened here. Um, so that it was more character driven than, um, driven by any premise to begin with right that i was just interested in this interchange between uh betty and justin and justin initially was was there almost as the perfect foil for her mm-hmm. and then um you know the ideas came from from there right. and the whole premise of the um husband being replaced by a mannequin or whatever came out of really just the the conversation and the um well to some extent the need for something to happen right i was wondering i was going to ask you about that little uh plot twist uh i i've i've heard of a lot of strange things in my life and i have not heard of that service and i was going to ask you if that was something that you had heard about or did you just come up with this out of out of you know thin air I must admit, I came up with it out of thin air. Um, it just seemed to fit the the circumstances more than anything, right. and was really underlining the fact that, um, well, the, the the ridiculous part is that it would work in her case. Yeah, that it it fills the need she had in terms of relating with her uh ex-husband true you might you might actually have a uh 
whole new business on the on the market. This, this just might take off. Yeah. What, it, hey, what, what can you lose? Um, one of the, one of the things that struck us when we read it was you could have gone any number of ways, and I can totally understand coming up with Betty and wanting to just let her run. She's she's a pip. She really is, and she's probably great for many years of interesting conversation. And the thing that we noted was you have a great amount of compassion for her. At no point did you ever play her for a fool or did you ever take her for anything less than a dignified human being? And the comedy could have gone in, in so many different ways. Um, was there something about Betty that like once, once she started to dictate where to go, that you just basically sat back and let her run? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, it, you know, in, in I guess in developing any character, uh, you want them to be real. Yeah. You want them to to um, to be able to relate to them as people. I, I think un, maybe unfortunately that if a character isn't in some way sympathetic, people don't like the story. Yeah. That, that there has to be some level of sympathy or empathy between mm -hmm. audience and character yeah. uh, at the same time um, you know people people are all flawed and I, I think you you want to to be able to show that um, she would be an infuriating person to be around um, or to live with even worse yeah. well I'm glad um, I don't but yes <laughs> you know she, she's a she's clearly opinionated. She thinks she's always right, yep. and you know it's other people's problem if they don't see it her way. And to be able to develop a character like that, and yet somehow, and you tread the thin line where they're still sympathetic, and yeah. and and at the end of the day, you feel compassion for her. I think it is that that's the difficult part, really. Yeah, some are, um, in in one of my travels, I ran into somebody who told me that a lot of characters really aren't evil. They think they're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah, and being able to craft that so the audience understands that is the nature of complexity in a play, and complexity in character development, which for me always makes a much better play. I much prefer character driven uh, uh, entertainment than plot driven. Yeah, although the uh, as I say, I, in my mind, the the two go hand in hand. Sure. That it's the motivations of the characters that create the events that drive the plot. Mm -hmm. That you you really can't have one or the other. Um, plays the 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 action in plays is is of course much more I think emotional and or or thought driven then for in film for example you can have car chases you can have fight scenes you can have people running around and mm -hmm. and if you don't have that in film it it is day it can fall into talking heads and and it's not very good it can and and it frequently does uh but i have seen many movies where we were without cgi we were without the bling, okay. We were about the the the, the SFX, 
where the character development was so intense that I could yeah. not, yeah, I, I, I was absolutely glued to it. And those are the movies you watch over and over, I think. And there's the, the odd play that's been turned into a movie mm -hmm. where you, you get a lot more of that. Yeah. Because, I mean, plays, uh, what's the definition of a play? A story told through dialogue. Yeah. So the, the story comes through the words and the emotions and the, the interaction of the characters rather than uh, through the visual medium of, of film. But you can have right. something like, um, I don't know if this is the best example, 12 Angry Men sure. was a play made into a movie. Uh -huh. And it suddenly you have what's more important to a play, which is the unity of place and the unity of action and the right. where it's is all very tight you're not going to stretch it over months or over um you know different places in the world yeah it's immediate and, yeah and there's yeah. and uh, there's a power to to the immediacy sure I, I always thought of that play as a locked room with 12 people in it <laughs> you know it's it's a, you put two people into a room and it's like putting two people into a boxing ring. You know they cannot leave. They have to stay within there, and you watch the action within this. But then you start yeah. adding more people. And that mm -hmm. particular play had 12 people in one small room. And yeah. me, as soon as I saw that, the first time I saw that, I was I thought, this is going to compress, and this is going to compress quickly. Uh, it, it was an, yeah. an interesting uh, 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 setting. I When I read Missing... I was reminded uh, of a Stephen King quote that I came up with uh, that he came up with years ago. He was asked out of all the monsters that he's created and all the, the evil beings that he's had his experience with, which one frightens him the most? And it wasn't the werewolf. It wasn't the clown. It was, it was for him, Alzheimer's. And Betty's got a touch of that we think yeah. and walking into that part of your life where all of a sudden the memory and the brain work and the, the that you've depended upon all your life suddenly begins to betray you watching her go through this and watching her realization coupled with the astute compassion of justin the policeman um scared the hell out of me in a sense, right? because this is a woman who's obviously been very active, very upfront, knows where she wants to go, knows exactly what she wants to do. And all of a sudden, she forgets this. And that was the thing that I, I think we all loved about the play so much is that A, you treated her with compassion. And B, we've just felt so bad for her because once she walks out of here, we wanted to know more about her. You know, we wanted to take care of her a little bit. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good work on that. That's uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to lean too heavily on the um, dementia or, or um, right. Alzheimer's. Um, to, to me, the 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 really sad part is and and it's a it's a actually a, a beat at the end the final statement she makes which is it would be terrible to end up all alone now wouldn't it 
Yeah. And that's exactly what has happened to her. Yeah. And I wanted the, you know, for for a number of reasons, I think she's she's um obviously forgot something that you would think would be unforgettable. Um, but part of it I think it would be a defense mechanism just because of how she has ended up and yet she will never admit to it. Sure. It's it's Justin she's telling shouldn't end up alone, not herself. Yeah. yeah. One of one of the things we I guess we thought about, but didn't think about too heavily and became very, very clear once we started reading all these plays that were submitted. And the criteria was roles for women over 50. And we walked into a time of life where these things happen, where Alzheimer's is a possibility, where the people you've been with all your life, family members, friends, and all that sort of thing, are suddenly taken out of the picture. And it's not so much the fact that the protagonist might be dying, but it's a question of the protagonist slowly being abandoned or being left, which was also a bit scary. So reading these, these plays brought a whole raft of issues to the forefront. It was definitely an education for us here um, and a bit of a scary one. So tricky once you <laughs> careful what subjects you select to highlight yeah um yeah you Definitely. have a and the the title uh, of of this next piece uh, uh, interested me greatly and if you would talk about it for a second because you don't always run across a user's guide to creation um so i've i've i've, I've got the, the user's guide of creation in my hands and I'm about to read it. What am I going to discover? Um, the, the user's Guide to Creation, and, and it's just something I'm working on now, so um, where it ends up or whether it sees the light of day remains to be seen, but I, I actually um, have a novel I've been working on, and there's a character in that uh, named Alice Siegel, and this is supposed to be her um, it's actually a um, suggestion on a curriculum that she doesn't think English and math should be taught as separate subjects. They should be in every subject. And she she's outlined what subjects she feels should be taught. And one of them is creation. And what a user's guide to creation. Um, it, it's sort of a, a fictional nonfiction piece. What, what it's... Um, highlighting really is the act the art of storytelling okay and so it goes through um it starts off with the structure of a story which is um a static world and then something happens and then you have a new world right and i actually got involved with um what were called story grammars at the time when i was at cornell in the 70s um, and that's where that idea comes from. Okay. And so basically any story has to be a transformation of a created world. And given that, then um, the, the user's guide to creation looks at how language is used to accomplish this. It looks at world building and it looks at the roles of the, the main um, 
people, for want of a better word, involved in this process. The one being the characters who are within the story and the other two being the creator and the interpreter of the story. Okay, sure. Yeah. So that's, that's the basic outline of what a user's guide to creation is all about. Ah, all right. Well, that's no small subject. No, it isn't at all. Yeah. But it, it's fun to write it. I. It's the sort of thing I can only write in character. You touched on something that is one of my favorite things, being a playwright myself. I believe in the power of words, and I believe in the power of specific words. Because there are a million and ten ways to ask the same question. There are the same number of ways to give an answer, to say anything. Mm-hmm. And what drives plays and what drives life is the effect of what you say having on somebody else. And yes. it depends on how you say it. So we've all we've heard, you know, we've heard words have power, uh, which is absolutely true. But judging that power and being selective or being precise with what you're saying is a craft. You, uh, I saw something, you spent four years in a doctoral program studying linguistics, um, which to me is absolutely fascinating. And language itself and how an author's linguistic choices could achieve a particular effect. Can you talk about that for a couple of seconds so I can stop asking this question? Well, I mean, it, it, that that's one of the units in the user's guide to creation. But okay. so I, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, it's all about choice, obviously, as you said. Um, and the way language works is uh, every word has denotation and has connotations and it has a multitude of meanings embedded in it, given context. Um, And then when you select, well, there's two pieces. There's what you select and what you choose not to select. And I think what's what's missing is often almost as powerful as what's there. Exactly. People don't look for that, though. No, it's hard to to, do a complete analysis of everything that's missing. Robin Pond, this has been so much fun talking with you about uh, your wonderful play Missing and words and creation and frightening things like Alzheimer's. Thank you so much for submitting and thank you so much for joining us this morning. And thank you. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, By all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.